Welcome to the Bonfire. I am Morgan, aka Bon. I will be your host for this episode. And this is a podcast about video game news, reviews, rumors, and speculation. This week, I'll be covering a little bit more about the Insomniac hacks. We'll be talking about Bobby Kodak getting the F out and a video I made that made a bunch of people really mad and much more. A few things before we get started on YouTube, please subscribe to the channel, hit the like button and comment down below to help me out. Subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform and leave a review on Spotify or iTunes. A special thank you to all of the patrons and YouTube members, including Hassan, YouTube's Neuronix, PK, Cage Nephilim, and Horseman. If you're interested in supporting this podcast for as little as $2 per month, please check out patreon.com slash bonddiesel, ko-fi.com slash bonddiesel, become a member on YouTube, or subscribe over on Twitch. Getting into the gaming news. In the PlayStation segment, we have a little bit more about the Insomniac hack. I believe last week when I talked about this, it had like just happened uh, and there wasn't too much info out. I believe the main thing I said is that there was like Wolverine screenshots. Well, it's a lot more than that, unfortunately. Um, even referring to this at this point as a leak or whatever is just not appropriate, honestly, is what it's come down to. So let me clarify how I'm going to talk about this. Um, talking about the actual gameplay that's released or the things that have released that show gameplay. I'm not going to do that. I'm obviously not going to talk about any of the personal info that was put out uh, of this kind of thing. In, in some of the documents, there's um, talk of Sony potentially needing with their first party studios needing to do staff reductions and even plans to shut down a studio. It, that stuff's probably, it, it's so unsubstantiated at this point because none of that has happened. Um, that like all of the things that were leaked, it's subject to change. And um, I, I really think that that stuff should all be looked at with heavy skepticism. Anything future, you know, wise should be looked at with heavy skepticism. What I do want to talk about is, and I think this is within the boundaries that's fair, and when I propose this, no one pushed back on me, is talking about their roadmap uh, for the games that were going to come out, or are going to come out, um, as well as some info that came out about um, the sales numbers um, and dev costs and things like that, especially the financials I think are worthy of talking about, because I think it... Um, can uh, lead to a conversation, a bigger conversation about the sustainability of AAA gaming and all of that. So getting to the roadmap, um, at least at the time, the Insomniac was basically on an every two year uh, big release schedule, which they've basically been on since the first Spider-Man uh, or even Ratchet and Clank, really. I guess it was Spider-Man, then Ratchet. And so this Wolverine game, which a lot of people were speculating was going to come out in 2024, or I think we're kind of hoping it would come out in 2024 because it kind of looks like PlayStation who already had a pretty meek to 2023, um, is going to have an, maybe even an even more meek 
2024, at least from the first parties. Um, Wolverine looks like it was always meant to come in 25. And then Spider-Man 3 in 27. And then a supposed X-Men game in 29. With a few more beyond that. But even these are kind of weird to talk about. Obviously, the Wolverine game is going to happen. Double, obviously, the Spider-Man 3 game is going to happen. Everything beyond that. You know, you start looking at 27, 29, you're talking about the next gen of consoles. Uh, if there's potential for Xbox to have their next console in 26, then you're looking at probably 27 or 28 for the PlayStation 6. And that's when you're getting into the conversation about these games. I, I suspect these are still going to be realistic time frames. I, I'm curious and, and I would almost need a dev to talk about how such a substantial leak could impact the future of Wolverine, at least. Um, supposedly, there may be some Spider-Man 3 stuff out there. Again, I don't really want to get into talking about that stuff specifically. But I suspect it. it's a bruise. You know, it's a bruised eye. You know, all these devs and designers and stuff don't want people to see this stuff before it's done. That's why even, like, accidental leaks, like what, what happened with Xbox or, or other hacks and leaks that have happened, that's the biggest annoyance about it and why you know like a publisher like ubisoft who just habitually leaks their stuff it's it sucks because they lose control of the message right seeing stuff before we're supposed to see it is bad enough um or is the worst case scenario because you know people don't realize that a lot of games are getting worked on till the very end um, you know, my best example, or maybe it's a terrible example, is how Anthem didn't even, they weren't even sure they were going to have flight in Anthem six months before it came out. Now, obviously, Anthem is a bad example because of all of the other reasons, but I don't think that was a unique issue to Anthem. You know, maybe a, a mechanic that significant to the game being decided that late, that probably is unique and it's probably a symptom of the other issues of that game end of Bioware at that time. But it's just an example for me of, you know, these games can be drastically different right up to the time they get released. So when you're talking about seeing footage uh, or seeing things from a game that could be from 2021 or 2022 or even this year for a game that wasn't expected to come out for two more years, I mean, you're, you're talking about, you know, literal vertical slices or completely experimental things that they're doing because, you know, for a lot of games, we only ever end up seeing a minority of the work they did on those games. They do so many, you know, bits of exploration and experimentation and all of that, that you can't take this stuff too seriously. So this sucks. I think the roadmap is interesting. It's it's the funny thing is the roadmap was the least surprising thing. I think that came out of all of this um, insomniac. While I would say that their games, I, I, I think that there may be a hair overrated um, the speed at which they get their games out and how good they are. Despite that speed is wild. And um, and I think this cadence they were going for seems less realistic as time goes on because games seem to only be getting more complicated to make, but is uh, something that I actually wouldn't be surprised if they don't deviate much from. 
Now, part of the conversation that I think is uh, more interesting to have is about some of the financials that came out. And um, there was a little bit of misinterpretation stuff on, on this. Um, the most interesting thing I saw was that all of their big mainline games had development costs that are basically, especially in the future, every everything basically from here on out is expected to be over $300 million to make, which is insane. Like that's that you're, that's over a quarter of a billion dollars. Like it's so much money. And that gets you thinking about like, Oh my God, like, you know, Grand Theft Auto six is probably going to be a game that if you include marketing and everything is probably going to be around like, I don't know, a billion bucks and it'll make it back, you know, but like, Oh, and uh, one of the interesting things was that uh, Ratchet and Clank, um, and, and this story, even as someone like me who's more of an Xbox fan and is always happy to find a reason to dunk on PlayStation, this one got a little out of control. Um, so Ratchet and Clank um, was a relatively cheap game for them to make. Uh, I was actually surprised um, about how little they spent to develop it. Um, and it looks like it basically broke even. Um, the initial numbers were showed that it may have lost money. Um, revised or some new information um, has made it seem like it actually probably made money. It probably didn't make much, but it, it made some money. Um, my my push on that, that people I haven't seen discuss, is that Ratchet & Clank wasn't really probably meant to be a big blockbuster game. It was literally a launch title, I believe, for the PlayStation 5. It was a game that they needed to be there for those early adopters to have something to show off this new tech. Now, you know, all of the claims they made about uh, how the portals worked and stuff like that in that game have been like a little debunked about like that. It had to be PS five. That game could have been on, P could have been on PS four. Um, they could have at least made it work. Uh, so regardless, even as someone who tends to lean more towards the Xbox side and, and be happy to be kind of a fanboy against PlayStation, the numbers of Ratchet and Clank aren't, aren't bad for PlayStation, in my opinion. Um, if anything, it breaking even was an example of like, hey, we, you know, we made this game basically so people had something to play that was a PS5 exclusive and enough people bought it that it paid for itself. That's fine. Especially when the same company is making games like the Spider-Man games that are making hilarious amounts of profit. So it's like, you know, not that big of a story. But the whole idea of all these upcoming games that they have listed, the projected costs for them, and that's before delays or other issues, all being over $300 million is something that you should be thinking about just as a game fan. Especially if you are a fan of these big AAA you know, big publisher studios in that, like, that's not probably sustainable. You're talking about games that are going to have to sell seven, eight, maybe nine or 10 million copies to just be worth making. And, and that isn't realistic for most publishers. Um, not to mention that you we're starting to see indie games even, you know, the indie label is becoming so impossible to really button down. But like, you know, a, a game like Baldur's Gate 3, uh, we, we now know that uh, Larian has at least part, you know, their part, I think it's 30% ownership from, I believe it was Tencent. 
Um, and that's, you know, it was probably a, fi- a financing deal to, for them to make Baldur's Gate 3 because Baldur's Gate 3 was probably a really expensive game to make. It should be. It looks like it. Um, and it's just kind of looking at the future and wondering, like, how how is this sustainable? You know, obviously the market's growing and, and we'll talk about some good stuff for Sony after this about their console. But like, how is this sustainable? Like, obviously you have some of these uh, prestige developers who are pretty much a guarantee to sell 10 million copies every single time, right? But like, that's not for everybody. And, and you know, you have a, games like, a game like Immortals of Avium that was published by EA from a indie AAA studio that used them for publishing. And that game probably cost maybe not 300 million, but probably... 150 maybe 200 million and it definitely didn't make its money back and then you start looking at things like game pass and like you know how is xbox gonna justify making games that cost 300 million dollars um you know their model of really focusing on game pass and things like that for developers it can probably work out because the way game pass typically works if you put a game on game pass as a third party especially if you make it day one on game pass especially if it's exclusive Xbox will basically pay for your development. So you're going to see studios, I think, be like, hey, we'll sign up for that. But then it's going to turn around and, you know, Xbox is going to have to be picky about that, right? Like Xbox is going to have to make sure if they give a company $300 million that there's going to be a return on that with people getting Game Pass and and purchasing games and buying consoles or buying hardware or, or whatever, so, like, obviously, these, this hack is awful. Um, the, 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 the fact that it involved the, essentially a ransom and stuff, and obviously Sony didn't pay it, so all the info came out. Uh, the fact that people's personal information has been leaked and exposed, and I've already seen stories about people having to lock down their bank accounts and their credit cards, change their phone numbers, um, do all kinds of stuff that is directly because of this hack that sucks anyone who's spreading that info is the worst um even the gameplay stuff i've basically tried to ignore even though i probably won't play these games or maybe i will if i have a playstation by then um even that sucks because like i said before i really hate seeing devs lose the messaging i think once a game is released and it's out in the wild then we're all you know let's jump on it and dogpile or whatever you know we want to do but doing it like this and and seeing weirdo like even as someone who considers myself an xbox fan seeing like all the, this like the, the the worst part of social media at least for gaming where you have all these douchebags who are like hyper console warriors on any of the sides especially playstation and xbox and you see these like weirdo xbox people being like this game looks terrible i'm talking about wolverine and the leaked footage like uh, like like trying to be like oh this game looks like one i don't know I won't talk about it specifically, but like, it's stupid. Um, think of your favorite game. If you looked at it, if you got to see what it looked like a year before it came out, let alone two years or three years before it came out, it wouldn't be good. Right. Uh, let's, let's, you know, take a look at red dead redemption Two, you know, three years before it came out. I bet it didn't quite look like the, what I think is a masterpiece, uh, that it ended up being. So I think the biggest thing to take away from everything that we've seen, um, or, that, or at least that I'm willing to talk about is that I, I think 
you know, we're going to continue to see the rock stars and the Sony first party devs and probably Xbox first party devs continue to make these like crazy expensive games. But I think we're also going to see that those publishers, uh, at least Xbox and Sony, are going to have to also be willing to do their hi-fi rushes, their pentiments, their, you know, their, you know, maybe 20, you know, 15, 20 million dollar games or even 50 to 100 million dollar games, which seems small nowadays. Uh, I think we're going to see more of those, even if it's just to hopefully help pay for the other ones uh, or, or really to be the, the gap fillers, because not only are some of these big giant AAA experiences going to be, you know, so expensive. These are games that are taking five, six, seven years to make. And so if you have a studio that they, they can only make one game at a time and they're spending this much money and it's taken them four or five years to make this game, you know, even, you know, we're even seeing it with Xbox, even when a publisher has 30 studios, it doesn't mean, you know, even then they're struggling to get out more than a couple big experiences a year, let alone hoping to get one out, you know, every other month or every quarter. Uh, and that's only going to get worse and it's only going to get more expensive. Uh, meanwhile, you know, we have all these layoffs and all that stuff as well. So it's, it's a weird thing. I, I really think we're going to see probably a pretty big adjustment in the gaming industry in the next, you know, probably five years where, you know, we'll always have these big experiences, but I think they're going to become fewer and further between um, as we start to see games, maybe dial it back a little bit. Um, you know, people hate it and even I do, but, you know, on one hand you've got, you know, like engines like Unreal Engine 5 trying to do a bunch of stuff to streamline dev, which is really great. Um, but you're going to see a bunch of these publishers and studios start trying to make things like AI generation and all that, you know, it, it, it's a way to speed it up, um, whether it's assets, whether it's voice dialogue, whether it's writing um, and I, I think we're going to see that increase. I think we're going to see a lot of people push back on it and it will probably not be the meta in the future, but you're going to see it. And eventually it's going to get good enough that you may not even be able to tell very easily, but we'll have to, uh, we'll have to wait and see. So insomniac hack, you know, the parts of it I'm willing to talk about mixed bag, right? But something interesting to cover anyways. And some better news for Sony, they announced that uh, they have sold 50 million plus uh, consoles uh, of the PS5 generation. Um, surprisingly, that's actually slightly behind the PS4 sales. Um, there's obvious explanations for that. Um, the first couple of years um, that the, the console's been released, it was COVID times, which you would think would mean more sales. But as everyone probably remembers, uh, all of the... Uh, reductions of uh, supply and things like that, supply constraints, and this even shipping, getting consoles over here after they were built, um, that obviously slowed it down. Um, that will recover. I have no doubt in my mind that PlayStation 5 will end up probably selling more than PS4. And it may, you know, you can argue about why. Um, but the simple fact is, is that from the days of the PS4, the game industry and the consumer base is just bigger now. Now, is the console base bigger or the people who are willing to buy consoles with how popular uh, mobile gaming is and stuff like that? That's a bigger question, but it seems like it probably is bigger in that 
it wouldn't surprise me at all if relatively quickly we see the PS5 sales surpass the PS4 kind of curve. Um, what does this mean for the other consoles? As we all know, Nintendo just doesn't really care. They just do their own thing. Uh, in the Xbox, I know this is the big one that everyone focuses on, and they talk about how um, you know Xbox is only selling you know one console for every two or three that PlayStation sells. I just I think I talked about it before, but people really need to start realizing that all three of the major platforms are going three different directions with their business plan. I'm not saying it's good or bad. It's more or less successful, um, but I just don't think Xbox cares that much if they're not selling as many consoles. Don't get me wrong. They would love to be selling more consoles than PlayStation, but I think the fact that they aren't, you know, isn't a thing that they are you know losing sleep over. I'm sure Phil would love to be selling more consoles than PlayStation, but I, I just, I think people are not realizing that we've got these, these three platforms that are technically competitors and are competitors for sure are just looking different directions with where they're going and who they're really competing with. Um, and so that's going to be another thing I think in the next five to 10 years is going to be really interesting to see if one of them prevails and the other two start chasing them, or if they all continue to kind of, you know, get further away from each other as competitors, uh, while, uh, you know, we kind of move this industry forward. Speaking of Xbox, uh, Bobby Kotick has announced that he is leaving uh, Activision Blizzard King on January 29th. Um, this was long expected. I believe it had even been mentioned before that he was leaving. There was, I could tell there was always this kind of like nervous fear amongst you know the Xbox folks and just people in the game industry in general that like there was always this kind of like you know Kotick's going to be gone, right? Like he's definitely going to leave. Right. Like, I still think there was some anxiety amongst people of being like, like, is he really going to go? Like, like he's going to he's surely he's going to leave. Right. And he has. So or he will be here in about a week. He'll be done um, at ABK. Uh, it's I find it very unlikely he's gone for good. Um, I very, very much suspect he will pop up somewhere else. He could end up at an embracer. He could end up at another, you know, a 10 cent or something like that. I even think it is very possible he ends up over at Sony. That would not surprise me even one itty bitty tiny bit. Um, but more than likely, I suspect he'll take the hilarious amount of money he's getting as he uh, leaves and that he's gotten for many years and maybe even just tries to do his own thing. We'll, we'll see how that goes. Uh, there were lots of other staffing changes as well. Lots of high up positions in ABK. People, you know, vacating those positions to, um, you know, find new opportunities. Or um, I suspect it's a big part of it where they know they're about to have new leadership and ownership. A lot of the people in the power positions they're in at ABK will no longer be answering to Kodak um, or will no longer be answering to no one. They'll be answering to someone at Xbox. And I suspect that... Um, either on their side or on Xbox's side, there's been conversations of, yeah, we would like to, you know, change some things up here. There's a lot of hope that Xbox will um, kind of change the culture at ABK and try to make things a little better for the people who work there under all of those studios. Uh, but we'll have to wait and see what happens with that. There was an early bit of good news where I believe it was 80 QA devs who are unionized and worked for a contracted ABK studio uh, have been made full-time employees, uh, you know, as one of the, it seems like one of the early Xbox moves. 
this is, you know, for sure, probably just for good PR and to try to smooth over this transition. Um, you know, hopefully Microsoft sticks with being friendly to these unions and, and doing all of that stuff and, and not pulling some of the stuff that Kodak pulled and that Activision was kind of known for, uh, amongst other awful things. Uh, and, and hopefully this is a, a sunny day for ABK uh, devs and, and other folks at those studios. The Lies of P director talked about um, the Game Pass benefits and was basically really glowing about it. Um, I only mention this because there is, you know, fairly often chit chat about how, you know, third party studios hate being a part of Game Pass and blah, blah, blah. I don't think that's true. <laughs> I, I think that um, depending on the type of game now. You know, when we hear about like Baldur's Gate 3 won't be on Game Pass. Well, obviously not. They have many, many, many full price copies to sell uh, that they, they don't need Game Pass yet. I still hold very strongly to that. We will see Baldur's Gate 3 on Game Pass one day, but that won't be until it makes financial sense for Baldur's Gate 3 for Larian. And, uh, on, and as long as there's still enough demand that it makes sense for Game Pass as well. So, um, this lies a P thing, not surprising, but I thought that was a good example for a multi-platform game that was on, um, the Xbox game pass. I'm a great example of someone who would have never, ever, ever purchased that game, but I downloaded it. I played it for a while. It wasn't really my thing, but I left with a really good outlook on it. And, um, you know, it definitely makes me say, you know, when another game comes out and they say from the people who made Liza P I'll be like, Oh yeah, that game was really cool. Maybe it wasn't my thing, but maybe the next thing is, you know? So, um, I suspect that we'll see plenty of those stories moving forward. Uh, the last thing I'll talk about with Xbox is, is actually some of my own content. I made a video, uh, it was essentially called Starfield is a good game. Um, and I regret that <laughs> I'm not going to take it down because it's gotten lots of views. The, the whole point of making the video was to put out some content for people who do like Starfield to find and hear at least some, you know, friendly words from, you know, it's unfortunately I went a slightly clickbaity route um, in the first five seconds of the video. Um, and unfortunately, it seems like that led to people listening to the first five seconds, pausing making very mean comments and then not watching the rest of the video um that there was lots of uh, talk in the comments of that video about how starfield is actually a bad game and i'm a shill um because they pretty obviously didn't listen further into the the video for me to recognize all the things i know are wrong with the game and to completely understand why you know the people who don't like it don't like it and not faulting them at all for that. Uh, but still, you know, backing up my, my man, you know, I'm still backing up this game that I really, really do enjoy. And I think it was so good. And a big part of the video I talk about is how I, I genuinely from the bottom of my heart believe that purely by luck, the way I played Starfield and the missions I did and the order I did them and the things I didn't do before I finished the game initially, uh, or at least completed the main quest line. I think um, that really, I think I got a very ideal experience of Starfield where uh, I didn't play some of the weaker parts of the game or experience them until after I had kind of finished the main quest. Um, 
and how that really impacted, I believe, because when I see other people talk about it, I can definitely tell they had different experiences, right? Uh, like one person in particular, and if this is you, I'm not dogging on you, I'm just making your example, uh, a few times has mentioned to me that, yeah, I played almost 300 hours, um, but didn't finish the main quest line, which is like crazy, because it's not really that long. Um, and then they, you know, talked about how they, they spent so much of that time trying to 100% explore all of the random planets, which in my opinion is the worst part of the game. Now, I'm not going to yuck anyone's yum. If someone was enjoying doing that, that's really cool. But for me, it's like kind of hard to hear someone say, actually, I think Starfield kind of sucks. Uh, even though I played 300 hours and even though I spent at least a really, I assume a really big chunk of that you know, doing what would be arguably the worst part of the game and then not even fulfilling what I would argue is the best part of the game and uh, some of the narrative and, and some of those experiences and stuff. And so, yeah, I made that video. Um, I've probably been a little too active in the comments. Um, my, my biggest thing is that I, I'm a hypocrite. I'm never going to deny that. Um, I'm, I'm a bit sensitive at times. I can be a little passive aggressive. All of those things are true. And all of those things are expressed in those comments and my replies at the end of the day, though, like I'm still, I'm going to defend myself. And especially if I see people being silly, um, I'm either just going to mute them from the channel, which they'll, they'll never be heard from again, or I'm going to reply and defend myself. And, um, expect that with all of my videos and you know my content isn't for everyone that's probably why there's a relatively small number of people who consume it and that's okay with me this isn't my job this is something i do for fun and um i will try to learn and be better but i also am gonna be authentic and do what i think and say what i think is is real for me so go check out that video and try not to be too mad at me uh, I didn't have any big Nintendo headlines this week to talk about. Uh, as for other gaming topics, uh, EA announces a new uh, Frostbite logo uh, and a vision uh, for the Frostbite engine. Uh, this article was interesting. Um, so we know that there's at least some studios who have been kind of dabbling with other engines. Um, we're under the impression that the next Mass Effect game will be Unreal Engine 5. I believe the... Um, motive game, the Iron Man motive game is Unreal Engine 5 as well. Uh, while we also know that the upcoming Dragon Age Dreadwolf from BioWare is still on Frostbite. Um, if you don't know, Frostbite is a pretty old engine at this point, even though it's been like significantly iterated on over the years. It was originally made by DICE and still is managed by them uh, and was meant for the Battlefield series, uh, which it is extremely good at. It's really good at making um, you know, big multiplayer shooter games with vehicles and destruction and all of that. What it doesn't seem so good at is, you know, some of the other stuff that we've seen examples like in Mass Effect Andromeda uh, and some other games where, you know, it, it it just didn't seem like maybe it was the right engine for that job. Um, I will say that a game as recently as the... Um, the uh, uh, oh, Dead Space. Jeez, my brain locked up. The Dead Space remake that just came out is on Frostbite, and it looks really, really good. And all of the faults I remember from like Andromeda and stuff were, at least I didn't notice them. I thought it looked really, really good. It's actually what makes me pretty hopeful for Dreadwolf from Bioware, as well as some other games. 
um, I suspect Frostbite has matured and gotten to a point where it's more usable for these studios who are making these non-Battlefield games. Uh, if you don't know, I believe uh, even the modern like FIFA's or, or the FC soccer game, Madden, you know, all of their sports titles are all in Frostbite as well, I believe. Um, and this makes sense, just so you know, like you, you consolidate for two reasons. One, it's cheaper to have your own engine. And two, it, it you know, you get that shared experience. One of the big strengths of, of Unreal Engine is that there's hundreds and thousands of people using Unreal Engine. Uh, there's people making assets. There's people learning how to use it for certain types of games. And, and it's kind of a community project. So when the developer, even the big AAA dev, has problems with Unreal Engine or if they're trying to figure out a solution to something they're trying to do, someone's probably tried to do it before or someone else is probably also trying to do it. Now, I don't know how much interaction there is between big AAA devs, but at the very least, it's just, you know, there's so many people using Unreal that a lot of the issues are getting worked out kind of organically where, you know, with Frostbite, if only DICE was using that engine for Battlefield only, you know, that would be one thing, but if, you know, most of the studios under EA are all using Frostbite, for better or worse, they start to create their own little network doing that. You're also seeing this happen over at Ubisoft. It seems like uh, Ubisoft Massive's Snowdrop engine, not to be confused with Frostbite, which I do all the time, uh, is becoming kind of ubiquitous too. It seems uh, we, we know that there's multiple studios uh, who already have or are currently working on games for the Snowdrop engine as their previous engines, like the Anvil Next engine, which um, I think like Far Cry and the Ghost Recon series have been on, uh, I think Assassin's Creed as well, as that's starting to go away because I believe some of those franchises are moving over to Snowdrop. So it's interesting. Um, I, I'm curious to what the future of Frostbite is. I think it's obviously going to keep being developed uh, for you know the Battlefield games, probably the sports games as well. Uh, but it is uh, telling, I think, that EA is starting to allow some of these studios, Bioware specifically, to start to dabble back into Unreal Engine, which, if you don't know, um, Mass Effect 1, 2, and 3 were on uh, Unreal Engine 3, I believe. So they skipped Unreal Engine 4. Uh, even though, if you don't know, the Mass Effect Legendary Edition, I believe, used some components from Mass Effect 4 to do like some of the auto upscaling and all that. I don't know. Look up people who actually know what they're talking about for that info. We have uh, news about Team Kaiju. Uh, it, it was shut down by Tencent. Um, this was a studio founded by former 343, uh, the Halo studio, uh, Scott Warner. Um, and this comes along with a story I saw about how uh, China is doing a bunch of changes to some of its media policies and laws. And that's caused Tencent's uh, value to drop like 10 or 15% as of the last time I looked uh, at that information. Uh, so that's probably a story to keep an eye on because um, I believe Tencent is the, you know, the, the leading uh, game publisher in the world just because of all of their investments. And uh, there's a slight possibility that may go away for them. Uh, and it's going to be interesting to see how, how uh, some of the changes over there in China um, affect uh, Tencent, who has become quite a power player in the industry, even though it's often as a, as a silent partner. Um, Embracer uh, supposedly has found, uh, has secured funding through 2025 
Um, Embracer has probably been one of the worst offenders of layoffs this year with shutting down studios, shutting down projects, laying people off because they basically acquired a bunch of studios, like big studios and really big IP and just have done nothing with them um, and don't release any games. And the games they release are often bad. And um, they had initially, originally, I believe earlier this year, tried to secure funding from the, the initiative that Saudi Arabia has, uh, which has its own set of issues. Um, but apparently through their... Uh, their previous funding source, they were able to secure funding through 2025. If you don't know why this is a big deal, it's because especially when um, interest rates are low, a lot of these big publishers don't really have the cash on hand to like pay all of their employees. And so they often will take um, very nice uh, or, or, or very, um, you know, friendly uh, financing deals to finance basically their pay for to run all of their operations. And when that deal fell through f with the Saudi Arabian uh, fund and they were running out of their own funding and they weren't, they're not making any money Embracer, you know, they've hardly released any games this year, despite having a huge catalog of studios, um, you know, they were in trouble. That's why they were cutting down operations so much. So, Hopefully, this uh, this uh, them achieving funding through what I assume is through the end of 2024 um, will help stop that bleeding a bit. But they're going to have to put out some games and they're going to have to make some money uh, so that they don't have to completely depend on this. Or else, you know, late 2024, 2025, we're going to be looking at Embracer, you know, shutting down these studios or selling them off or selling off IP or whatever they're going to have to do. Um, I still don't think Embracer is long for this world. And I don't really care about that. Uh, what I am terrified for are these like dozens of studios and their IP that are just going to be hanging in the wind if Embracer, um, you know, kicks the bucket. So we will uh, be keeping an eye on that. Uh, the Sea of Stars devs uh, have announced that they, I think they've already implemented a patch that will remove a NPC in the game that was supposed to be uh, Gerard or the Completionist. Uh, if you haven't kept up with that story, uh, basically the, uh, Gerard or the Completionist is a pretty prominent YouTuber and game personality who for the last 10-ish years has run his own charity with his family uh, that was in commemoration of their mother who, um, who died from a specific disorder that they were raising this money for. Uh, they had raised over a half million dollars over the years, um, told people repeatedly that they were using that money to uh, you know, donate to funding and research on you know, attacking the issue that uh, befell his mother. Um, mentioning it a lot and really pushing that hard as recently as a couple months ago, uh, only to, for everyone to find out through these kind of shady YouTubers, but they had, they knew their stuff, um, that all of the money for the last 10 years that's been collected, uh, has never been donated to anyone. It's just been sitting there. Um, there's still questions about, uh, various fundraisers and money from those fundraisers that don't seem to be included in that $600,000 that's sitting there um, from like golf uh, fundraisers they've done and stuff like that, as well as like Twitch streams and all of that. Um, the videos came out talking about what happened about finding this money just sitting there. Um, eventually Gerard responded in kind of an aggressive way and a very non-apology type of way 
Then the people who initially broke the story came out with more info, which I assume they were holding on to in case he did come out and not just apologize and then do the right thing. Um, and then he's been silent ever since. Uh, if you know who Skill Up is, he's a pretty prominent game reviewer. Uh, he has a podcast called the Friends Per Second Podcast with Lucy James and Jake Baldino um, of you know various other uh, game uh, websites and, and such. Um, and they they cut Gerard. He was their fourth. And as as of now, there are just three of them. Uh, so he's lost that. I, I assume he has stopped. You know making any videos on his channel and that he's probably in recovery mode and he probably won't ever recover from this. He, um, what's interesting and I'll kind of give my own aside to this on that friends per second podcast, um, Jake and Lucy and Ralph, who's skill ups name would often talk about like, Oh, this new game that was coming out next week or that just came out and how they reviewed it. And they'd be talking about it. And, and almost every time, Gerard would be like, oh, I didn't get an early code for that, and uh, I haven't played it yet. And that was his contribution to, like, 90% of the topics. And um, so it kind of seems like he didn't have a lot of connections before the controversy. I can't imagine he's going to have more after. Um, You know, I'm not here to kick anyone when they're down this, you know. But at the same time, this kind of seems like the uh, the finding out part of the effing around, I guess, is is what all the kids say nowadays. So uh, that sucks for that guy. Um, the final story is a bit of a bummer, but I don't want it to be. It should be a celebration. Uh, James McCaffrey, uh, who is the voice of Max Payne in those games, and Alex Casey and uh, Alan Wake 2, as well as being a, an actor and a performer in his own right, uh, passed away at the age of 65 after a battle with cancer uh, here in this last week. Um, I've played all of the Max Payne games, and I really like them. Um, I've really, really enjoyed Alan Wake 2 as I'm still trying to finish it up. And, um, you know, James McCaffrey's voice was just so iconic and so unique. And so, like, if you heard his voice, you knew who he had voiced, right? It was, you know, very, um, just very unique to him. And, um you know, I, I've lost my own, you know, family to cancer and things like that. Um, and, and that, that's really hard. And even gosh, you know, almost 20 years later at this point, um, it, it still, you know, gets me. So when I see these stories, you know, obviously we lost a great performer in the gaming industry, um, and someone who meant a lot to a lot of gamers, but we also, you know, someone lost, a a son, someone lost, a, you know, a husband or a parent or a friend in James. And, um, and that sucks, you know, cancer's the worst. So thoughts out to his family and everyone who knew him well. And, um, I guess a small consolation is his talent and, um, his, you know, just a little bit of his personality, uh, will be forever remembered in the form of the characters he played, uh, you know, forever, which is really cool. Moving on to listener questions. Uh, if you have any of your own questions, be sure to ask in my discord, uh, in the YouTube comments or hit me up on Twitter over at, at bond diesel or at the bonfire. This week, I have a topic from Jernsome over on blue sky. Uh, which games do you have lined up for the holidays? Uh, for me, it will be Kerbal Space Program 2, which he notes uh, has been patched up and is working much better now than before. City Skylines 2, which I imagine is in the same boat, uh, and some of The Division. 
Uh, for me, uh, those sound great. That sounds like a lot of fun. For me, it's going to be probably a, maybe a little division, a little division two. Um, I've really been playing a lot of squad lately. It's a mill sim type game, which I actually really enjoy. Um, Escape from Tarkov is going to have their wipe probably here in the next couple days where, you know, for the last couple years, I've been trying to get that magic back and get really into Tarkov. So we'll see if this update will will do it for me. Um, as well as I did start a new Baldur's Gate 3 playthrough and I'm still trying to finish my human centric Mass Effect playthrough from March. This is the longest it's ever taken me to do a playthrough on Mass Effect. And it's because I kind of lost my love for it. But I am trying to finish that up because I have my PC uh, modded Mass Effect all modded up with a bunch of new mods, a bunch of new things I want to check out. And so while I'm not that excited to finish my human centric playthrough because it just kind of I've, I just haven't enjoyed it that much. Um, I'm really excited, excited to start a new Mass Effect playthrough, which I'll be doing on stream quite a bit. So uh, so that's what I'll be doing um, as well as maybe trying to dive a little bit into some uh, backlog that I've uh, very, very much ignored this year um, for better or worse. So really great question. Like I said, if you have your own or a topic you want me to cover or get at, or if you just have some feedback that you want me to respond to on the show, uh, make sure to hit me up literally anywhere. I am happy to get your feedback anywhere, (laughs) basically. And that's where we're going to wrap this up. Uh, Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Uh, Let me know if you have any feedback or thoughts about the show. I am always happy to hear them to try to improve things. Uh, One of my big goals for 2024 is to at least double the audience of this show. So help me out with that if you can. You can find me all over the internet as Bond Diesel. You can catch me specifically for the podcast at The Bonfire over on Twitter, as well as the other social media accounts I'm still working on trying to get all of those going. If you want to support my content, please check out uh, patreon.com slash bonddiesel. Join as a YouTube member, subscribe over at Twitch, or check out my merch and my other links in the link tree de- uh, link in the description below. That is all I have. So until next time.